Today we're looking at 2 Samuel 22, which is a break from the historical narrative of the rest of the book. And this chapter is actually one of David's songs or psalms. It's essentially the same as Psalm 18. And verse 1 begins with a title or description. It says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, when I came to this chapter, I thought, thank you, Lord, for some poetry, a song that gives us a breather from murder, adultery, the taking of concubines, gruesome accounts of war, and so much more. Now, the reality is in the song, David is going to allude to his deliverance from many kinds of enemies. But we also get a lot of really encouraging insight into David's beliefs about himself, God, life, and Israel's history. He goes back and forth in the song between talking to God and speaking of the Lord. And I think as our speakers have done so consistently this year in helping us uh, see, David's story points us forward towards Christ and what is ours in Christ. And I love that we're looking at this chapter a week before Holy Week when we'll celebrate the miracle of Easter. Now, before we get into the text itself, I want to just share a few thoughts to to orient us, to kind of get our bearings on some things that are happening in the song. And then we're going to look at three specific uh, things that we can apply. So first of all, this is a song, I think, that is a good example of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, where he's speaking about that because of our true life in Christ, our identity in Christ. Paul says, we regard no one. We don't recognize or understand anyone for a worldly kind of what you see is what you get perspective, even though all of us have regarded Christ that way at one point or another. We don't do that any longer. David's going to help us understand and really consider how we must interpret ourselves, others, God, life itself through the lens of God's word. And maybe you noticed in the song in verse 51, David says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield of faith for all those who take refuge in him. Next, this song teaches us how to think about our personal testimonies, those stories that we share with each other about what God's been doing in our lives. You'll see that David's focus in this song, which is written towards the end of his life, it's not on his mistakes, his sins. It's not on his kingly victories or his courage that he had, even though these are mentioned, they're alluded to. No, as David looks back, he wants the light shining on his powerful, faithful, loving, saving God. And then finally, This poetic song is written to evoke emotions through the use of language and imagery. The reader can feel that David is more than just stating facts about God. He's gushing with praise as he paints scenes that we can see in our minds. Do you sense the drama, the scary circumstances, the power of this deliverer? David isn't being stoic or, as I said, stating facts. This God he's talking about is not some kind of a wimpy, uh, impersonal force limping uh, from heaven. 
No, he thunders. He sends lightning and blasts of fire. The earth quakes. The earth comes unglued. I like the way that Dale Ralph uh, Davis says that David doesn't merely want to tell you a fact about Yahweh. He wants you to see Yahweh in all his saving fury and splendor. There could be something for us uh, to apply in the way we talk about God and his activity in our lives. So let's dig in. We're going to look at three things and consider how this uh, maps onto our stories. First, we're going to look at who who David believed God to be. After all he had walked through, ups, downs, sins, and victories, what was his faith and how did he describe the God of heaven? Second, we're going to look at how does David understand and interpret himself? And or I'm sorry, how, yeah, how does he understand and interpret the circumstances that surrounded him? And then third, how does David understand himself? How does he interpret who he is as a man who knew that he had been anointed by God, who knew that he had committed many grievous sins? How does he understand who he is? So let's dig in. First, David's beliefs about God. He says in verses two to four, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You get the sense that David just can't stop himself from listing attribute after attribute of his God. And he's describing God this way, the God who had called and anointed him, who had protected and provided for him, who forgave his sin and to whom David turned over and over, turned towards over and over again when he failed as king, husband, father, and servant. Now, the thing is, how did David know to describe God in this way? Well, he knew the history of God's people, and he had been taught about Yahweh as the covenant-initiating and covenant-keeping God. David knew that the Lord was the same as he had been all along. And this God, sisters, he's the same God for us today. He hasn't changed from when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt and the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the law, uh, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. He's the same God that stopped the Jordan River so that his people could cross over into the Promised Land. He's the same God that we've seen uh, when we looked at David's battles against Goliath and the Philistines, but also everything that's happened after David's life, when Israel was taken captive, when the Savior finally came and Jesus was born, his life and ministry, the violence of the cross, and the awe-provoking events of his death, resurrection, and ascension, and the work of Jesus now slowly spreading throughout all the nations. All of these things that we've experienced ourselves as his followers, all of this that even has led up to March 2023 has been through the hand of the same God that David is singing about. David lists out several descriptive words that help us understand how he saw his delivering Lord. Let me just put them in five clusters. 
he says, the Lord is a rock, which means he is solid. He provides a stable place to put his feet on, but also shade in the midst of the heat of the sun. The Lord is a fortress or stronghold, refuge, shield. He's a place to hide in whom we have rest. He protects us. He keeps us safe. Third, Savior. He is the deliverer and the horn of salvation. David uh, describes his savoring, his saving, delivering God as one that he could call out to when he was distressed, when he was in overwhelming circumstances. I think verses um, 17 to 20 are so beautifully descriptive, not only of God's deliverance to David, but of his deliverance of us in salvation, as well as the many salvations in our daily lives when we need rescue from trials and temptations. That passage says, God sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad or spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I love this. David believed that God wasn't only a powerful Lord and Savior, but a God who actually delighted in him. Fourth is David believed that God was worthy to be praised. That's in verse four. And then finally, he is faithful to his promises. He's a covenant keeping God. And we actually see that, I think, specifically in verse 51, where David says that God shows steadfast love to his anointed. Now that phrase that David chose to use, steadfast love, it's an important one for us to grab onto, to understand and to embrace. It's a Hebrew word called hesed, and it refers to God's faithful covenantal love. Different English translations might say um, loving kindness, mercy, loyal love, but this is a love that cannot be withdrawn, diffused, disordered, or ever end. We might call it God's eternal faithful love poured out on his people. David loved God. He called out to him and he knew he was delighted in, not because he was so delightable, but because God was and is so faithful. Now, our second idea to press into, having just looked at David's beliefs about God, is how does David understand and interpret the circumstances that he faced? Now, remember, the focus on this song is on how God delivered him from all his enemies. And I want us to look at this from two angles, what God delivered him from and how he did it. First, what did God deliver David from? The text says clearly, all his enemies. Now, we've studied the literal enemies of David, uh, nations, family members, friends, and leaders who betrayed him. But remember, this is a song. It's poetry, and it points beyond David's specific life or circumstances. Listen to what David says in verses 5 to 7. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord 
to my God I called. Now that sounds scary. Look at these words. He was encompassed. He was surrounded. He was assailed. He was overwhelmed and terrified. He was entangled. He was coiled about. Think about getting stuck in a web of duct tape. He was confronted. They got right in his face. He was distressed, harassed, worried, depressed, constricted. Now, as Christians, we often talk about how our enemies come in four categories. The sinful, broken world, our own sinful hearts, the devil, and death. When we're overwhelmed and terrified because of these enemies, when we are stuck in a web of sin or just pressed down by a painful trial, when we feel and really are just harassed and distressed, friends and family can help and comfort us. Money and professionals can provide, guide, help. Books and podcasts can teach us. But there's only one steadfast Savior who is unfailing in his saving. David believed this. That's what God delivered David from. Now, how does he do it? We find our answers right in the song. Verse 7, God heard David's cries of distress. He was listening, looking, and then he took action. Verses 8 to 20, God came with power and brought David into a safe, broad place. David describes an epic scene that his contemporaries, the people of God, they would have connected to Israel's history and the miraculous escape from Egypt through the Red Sea. Um, They probably would have been thinking about the fear-provoking experiences, the reverential awe that happened at Mount Sinai. What David is describing here is truly awesome. As God seems to rise up in anger, holy, fatherly anger to defend David, it's it's as if he's saying, no, you don't. Not with my anointed king. No, you don't. Not with my son. Verse 20. I've mentioned this already, but it just beautifully says that God took David, drawing him out of danger, and brought him to a spacious, broad place. Why? He delighted in David for his glory, but he delighted in David. Let's not miss that tender, personal touch. I just said this, but let me say it again, that David is really using imagery here that is awesome and epic. Now think about it. What other historical biblical events come to mind when we read of thunder, earthquakes, dark clouds? It's what we're going to celebrate next week, the crucifixion and the resurrection. When Jesus died, it says in Matthew 27, 51 to 54, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this 
was the Son of God. Two days later, Matthew 28, verses 1 to 4. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. David, without understanding the details of how the Messiah would bring an ultimate deliverance, he points us towards the results of Easter. At the end of the psalm, song in verses uh, 50 and 51, David says, For this I praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Dale Ralph Davis again, helps us here. As Yahweh's covenant king over Israel, the surrounding nations acknowledge David's authority, in which we have a preview and a pledge of the day when all kings will bow down and all nation will serve David's royal offspring or seed or descendant, which is mentioned in verse 51. And that word really is a singular word. It refers to David's seed or descendant, clearly pointing to Jesus. Paul is saying something similar here in Philippians 2, uh, 9 to 10, where he says, the day is coming when everyone in this world will know without a doubt that Jesus is Savior and Lord over all. Now, finally, just thinking about a few more thoughts on how God delivered David. The song also shows us that God gave David gave David several things to actively engage his enemies when need when needed. Del Ralph Davis says David's kingdom rests on Yahweh's muscle. You might have noticed that in the song uh, David describes himself defeating soldiers, leaping over walls, being trained with battle weapons, running on mountains like a deer. He describes his encounters with enemies, not with tame words. He says he was destroying them, pulverizing, crushing, stamping them out. And all of this was coming from the Lord. Well, what should we make of this? Well, I think David didn't just sit back, but was actively engaged in the battle to overcome the enemies of God. David wants people to know that God had given him everything he needed to be a faithful king who could overcome any enemy that would dare to oppose his true king, God. Second Peter 1, 3-4 says something similar for all of us who are in Christ. Listen, it says, by, God's, or by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you and I to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by evil 
human desires. Now we've looked at what David believed about God, how he understood the circumstances of being delivered. Finally, what does this song teach us about David's views of himself? I mean, it's easy to wonder, right? And maybe even to feel a little bit indignant towards David after all that he's done that he says so boldly in verses 21 to 24. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me. And from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I have kept myself from guilt. What? David, the murderer, adulterer, the guy that abdicated as husband, father, and king? Does he just get off the hooks, you know, scot-free? No. No. He's not scot-free but he is delivered through God's gracious, forgiving, steadfast love. Sisters, David is preaching the gospel over himself. He knows that when Messiah comes and brings full salvation, that that is, that, he knows that Messiah is coming. And that allows him to write what he does in this song. He's catching a glimpse of himself, the way that God sees him. And this is true for all of us who trust in Christ's death, resurrection, and forgiveness of sins. Let me take us again to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To use some modern terms in thinking about David's boasting, David didn't stay in his sin. He didn't deconstruct or deconvert. He believed that the Lord's word was true and that his promises and commands were unchanging. They could never change. Like us, David's life had different chapters woven with ugliness, beauty, foolishness, sin, and wisdom. And yet he comes through it all saying in so many words, I wasn't sinless, but I didn't abandon Yahweh altogether. I kept myself I put a hedge around my relationship with him, which I could do because he is the keeper. He's the covenant-keeping God. Sisters, this is so hopeful for us. David isn't saying, hey, the past is the past and it doesn't exist. No, he's saying God has rescued me from my enemies, including my own sinful heart, including all the foolish, selfish, sinful things I've done. God has kept me. Does this erase what David did? Does it obliterate and clean up all the devastation that's left behind him? No. Verses 26 to 28 in David's song tell us that there can be sober or sweet consequences depending on 
the way we respond to God's faithful love. But because of Christ, we too can believe that we are more in God's love than in our sin. We can, by the power of the Spirit, keep ourselves from wavering, from drifting away from the promises and commands of God, trusting our eternal identity together. This is a community project. We do this together, trusting that we are forgiven, loved, protected, the delighted in chosen people of God. Next week, we're going to celebrate Easter. And after a long explanation of resurrection to the Corinthians, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 58, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved sisters and brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. One of my heroes of the faith, Charles Spurgeon, wrote a sermon about staying faithful to Jesus as we fix our hope on heaven. And I want to paraphrase a section of this sermon as we close out. Friends and sisters, if we try to find the energy and motivation to stay true to Jesus If we attempt to remain faithful to our faithful God, trying to make sense of this life and God's ways, God's ways, if we try to do this based on what we feel and see, Spurgeon says, our spirit will swing from enthusiasm to coldness. It will rise and fall with the circumstances around us, and we will easily grow discouraged, discontent with God's promises, perhaps even tempted to drift away from him altogether. But we don't need to do this. We are resurrection people and we look by faith into another world where the resurrection will bring with it our reward. We're not fighting for a dead man's cause. We have a living, reigning king and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we call out to you today with our joys and our distresses, the ways we've grown and perhaps the ways we sense that we've drifted from you, maybe how we've grown discontent in the midst of trials and pain. Help us, God. Stir up faith, encourage and comfort us, rescue us from enemies that are too strong for us, and remind us that because of your beloved Son, you delight in us deeply, tenderly, and eternally. Amen.